Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. My guest today is Ryan Thompson with Total Title Solutions, and we are going to be talking about iBuyers, also known as Open Door, OfferPad, Redfin, Zillow. We buy ugly homes for that matter. Um, thanks for joining me. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, before we get started, I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Ryan Thompson. I'm the Director of Marketing for Total Title Solutions based in Clearwater, Florida, and part of the Florida Agency Network, which is the largest title company uh, in the state of Florida, uh, with several brands in, all across the state. Uh, and I have a background in sales, which I think is something that helps me uh, when I'm talking to realtors about real estate. I have a background in sales, so I, I took marketing as a, as a way to help myself and others understand how um, selling works. So how did you get into the title industry? Uh, interestingly enough, I had no idea I was going to be in title. <laughs> I worked for somebody who owned a title company through another business that he had. And uh, we just had several meetings uh, and, and I found out that the uh, ways that you market thing, although it's completely different from say a restaurant, the the principles and the concepts are always the same in all forms of marketing. So we ended up uh, taking what I was doing and, and moving it towards the real estate market as I learned more about the about title and real estate. It sort of hooks you in. It does, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a little bit addicting. It's one of those things that most of us know little about when you're outside of it. Uh, and then when you start to learn a little bit, it, it, you start to really understand how it works and, and all of the different pieces. Yeah, if you would have asked me 10 years ago... Um, if I would be working in real estate, I would have said, are you crazy? Right, I me too. enjoying my career in sports and then, you know, life happens and, yeah. Ten, ten years ago, I was, uh, I ran my own photography business. So I did that and uh, I think I was successful because of marketing. I had mm. studied marketing and sales before that uh, and sort of continued my studying in marketing and I found out that you didn't have to be the best photographer if you were a better marketer. And I think that goes for anything that anyone's doing nowadays because the people that are selling the best are the ones that are 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 successful right absolutely yep so today we're going to be talking about iBuyers and I thought it was important to do so for a few reasons one over the last decade or so we've had a lot of disruption in industries the iPod revolutionized the music industry Airbnb has disrupted hotels and lodging Uber and Lyft have disrupted taxis and car service, and iBuying is certainly gaining traction for disrupting the real estate industry. Two, Tampa is a fast-growing market when it comes to iBuying and home sales made through online platforms. And you know it makes sense because like Daryl Fairweather, uh, who is a chief economist with Redfin says, iBuyers are concentrating their efforts in southern markets where both home sales and prices are poised for strong growth. And we've certainly seen that over the last decade, five years. 
Um, three, for consumers who haven't purchased or sold a property in the last several years, this is a new way to buy and sell real estate. And um, as I mentioned, Tampa Bay is a top market for a lot of iBuyers, which means that they are putting a lot of resources towards advertising and marketing. So all you have to do is turn on your television or drive along the highways or scroll through your social media feed, and you've probably seen ads or been targeted by one of these companies, especially if you're searching for real estate. Um, four, for customers looking to buy or sell in the near future, it's good to know about all of the options out there and weigh whether or not the cost of convenience that iBuyers provide outweighs the money you may be leaving on the table by not listing your home on the open market. And lastly, for people, um, for most people, their home is their largest investment. And I wanna make sure that if they are selling their property that they're able to maximize the money they earn in that sale. Um, so with that said, let's get to it. Um, who are the iBuyers that are currently operating in the Tampa Bay area? So there are several in the Tampa Bay area. The biggest ones uh, and the ones that you'll see the most advertisement from, the ones with the largest amount of money behind them, are Open Door, OfferPad, Redfin, and then a little bit smaller than them uh, is Zillow Offers, uh, and soon um, Keller, Keller Offers, which is another one that's starting as well. Um, but those, the the two big one right now, Open Door and OfferPad, uh, sort of, and and Redfin too, sort of have uh, the biggest market share in the area. But I want to hit on something you talked about in your opening about about disruption, because all of the industries you named are still thriving. Um, so it's important to understand when, when, with disruption, especially for the customer, that when we think about changing the way that we do business, um, you know, if whatever's better for the customer usually will win out. So even though Airbnb has gained so much, there's still plenty of hotels, new hotels being built. Uh, I just got back from New York City uh, and somebody made a comment that my photos have less cabs in them than just five years ago when I first went to New York City. Uh, and it's true, there's there's a lot less cabs on the, on the road, but um, Uber and Lyft have taken over. But if you dig in a little bit, which I love to do, you find out that it's actually almost the same exact scenario as it was with the cabs where people are leasing the cars from companies and the city has sort of done a good job at um, changing their laws to adapt to the new uh, to the changes but while allowing the same service which is better for the customer so even though you might see ye less yellow cabs there's uh, plenty of you know black sedans driving around and 90 percent of those are going to be some kind of a car service so the same thing is is to be said here this is not a new concept uh, in the in the industry, it's just a concept that's grown in the last few years. You mentioned We Buy Ugly Homes, they've been around forever. This is the same concept, just changing instead of an under $100,000 market to now uh, increasing between the hundred and $300,000, let us say. Most sellers that I work with, if I came to them and said, you know, I have an all cash offer um, from an investor, uh, are you interested? You know, most will take a step back and say, well, wait a second, you know, if they're going to be making money flipping my home, then no, I'm not interested in that cash offer. 
But, um, you know, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about that's exactly what Open Door and OfferPad and all of these companies are essentially doing, except sometimes they're not even making any renovations or repairs. They're just buying it at the the lower end of the market value, turn around, putting it on the market and selling it for a profit. And some people actually, I think people would want to know what the what the offer would be from either an iBuyer or from a flipper or from an investor because they want to know what the real value of their home is. But then there's that other portion where they're going to say, wait a second, well, if there's something to be made here, I want to make that money. Um, And a lot of that has to do with the ownership we have of our homes, the feeling of this is my place I've put in, whether it's a new roof or just, you know, sprucing up the garden, whatever it is, I've invested my own you know, sweat equity into this home, I want to f- sell it for what I could sell it for, whatever that is. So for a large number of people, they would love to know what your investor would offer them, but then they're going to try to sell it themselves for a little bit more. Right. And, you know, I think that's a fair thing to say because for most people, their home is the largest investment they've ever made. So that said, why do you think it's such an enticing business model for these iBuyers? Well, I th- I think the the idea is that there's the investors in these i buyers have spent a lot of money to get a piece of the real estate action. Real estate is is by far and large one of the most secure industries. You know, despite the fact that we have downturns, which we always have and we will in the future at some point, um, it's still a very secure um, you know way to to have your to place to have your money. Um, and it was one of those markets that wasn't being tapped into. Um, by a lot of investors. So I think a big portion of it was um, technology combined with investors that want to want to sort of uh, have their portfolio spread out a little bit further into some more secure markets. If you bought a home 20 years ago, regardless of markets going up and down, it's still worth more money today than it was even just 20 years ago. You can't say that about a lot of things, and especially in the tech, in the tech world. Yeah, and you look at millionaires and billionaires, most of them have earned a lion's share of their money in real, real estate. estate. Yeah, there's Nobody's ever gotten rich from saving money. Somebody told me that because when they were talking about selling or investing in real estate, you never get rich just by saving pennies and putting them in the bank and, and hoping for that small percentage of return. You always have to have a little bit of uh, risk to get that, you know, to get that bigger return. And real estate, as as risky as it is, it's still one of the safer forms of, of uh, placing that risk out in the market. So each company operates a little differently, but can you walk me through the process and tell me what a consumer can expect? Sure, you hit on it uh, when you said when you turn on your TV or you go online or you, um, you go driving down the highway, there's ads everywhere right now for this stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of the ads are built to not really draw you in unless you're interested. I've, I've noticed the, their, a lot of the ads start off with, are you interested in, in selling your home or you want to know what your home's worth or how much, we, how much easier we can make your life? Um, so a lot of it's not done in a way that's sort of off-putting. It's sort of there for people that it kind of piques their interest. Oh, and I was listening to it. And the example I usually give is, um, and I noticed that they advertise heavily later in the evening Mm -hmm. and I and I was trying to think about why so I had this scenario in my head and I think it plays out very well where you have a husband and wife uh, and maybe the husband or the wife doesn't matter one of them is watching the sporting game and it goes into overtime and then during the overtime and this is this is really what happened to me I started seeing I didn't see them in the regular game but after 9 p.m. suddenly I started seeing a lot of advertisements for one of the iBuyers and so it made me think the idea is that they can 
they can invest people in the concept after hours because the only place you can turn after 9 p.m. when you're thinking about selling your home is them. Mm -hmm. If they put an ad up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and you go online and go, I want to sell my home, you're going to find realtors and you're going to find other people to talk to that are in the traditional real estate market. But after hours, you really only have them, their website to go to. Uh, and I think that's the first step is they want to guide you to a website. Typically, you put in all of your information and you'll either get back an instant offer on some of them or you'll get back a, hey, we're going to email you in a day or two kind of deal. Um, and then the next step is is that they, they tell you this is how much money you're going to make. Uh, we're going to sell your home for this amount of money. So for this, for the example, again, with the husband and wife, I always use, you know, wife's asleep, husband's watching the game, it goes late, he does it, he goes online, and he finds out for his $200,000 home, they're going to offer him $180,000. Now, he already knows the home's worth a little bit more than that, but he realizes, okay, I don't have to show it, I don't have to call anybody else, I can accept this offer with a click of the button, uh, and I'm going to make, and if I owe $100,000, I'm going to make eighty grand. So then the next morning at breakfast, he tells his wife, hey, guess what, we're going to sell our home, I'm gonna, we're going to make eighty grand, and we're going to walk away from this with, with $80,000, we can go to Paris and put a down payment on a, on a condo that we've been wanting, or whatever their next step is. Mm -hmm. So then, then the next step is they've invested them, themselves in this transaction. He said yes to the transaction. Um, and then the next step will be, a, and usually they, they want you to agree to a timetable that's 30 days or less. And they do this from a position of wanting you to be done quickly. They tell you how good it is to be done fast and be quick because they're trying to get you to invest in this timeline that they've invented. Uh, and that timeline is about 30 days. So they agree, you agree to the timeline, and then they tell you we'll be in touch in the next few days. So now what happens in those that week period or so is that you become more and more invested in in the story. Now you're telling your friends, your family, your wife's looking for tickets to Paris, and you know you you really have it in your head that you're going to sell your home. And then their next step is to come out and see the home physically. Um, a lot of times they'll position it as, hey, we want to make sure there's no holes in the roof, your house isn't on fire. The three bedrooms are still there, you know, make sure there's no big changes. But what typically happens is they'll find between eight and $10,000 worth of repairs that need to be done. Um, they're not finding these in any shady way. They're not making anything up. But And I think the reason they stick to that, that price range almost always is I own a home and I could spend $10,000 on my home right now. Sure. And I think most of us could. Right. Um, so they sell you, they give you a list of here's what could be done. Now you're invested in it already, and eighty thousand dollars is sounds like a lot of money. It doesn't sound that much different from seventy thousand dollars. You can still go to Paris. You can still put forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars down on another home. So you're still invested in it. Uh, so then the next step would be is is the legal stuff and the paperwork and all this stuff that they'll they send out to you after you agree to their lesser whatever that is eight and ten. And I'm using ten thousand as an as a, it is a, about the average, but I'm using it as an easy example to get our numbers right. Sure. Um, so now they've have you invested, you've agreed to the lower price, and then it comes down to closing day. And when you go to closing, um, they will have sent you beforehand, um, you know, lots of documents that most of us don't read that will talk about their service fee. So on top of the repairs, they're, they're also charging a service fee for the transaction, which is you know anywhere from seven to ten percent. Um, there's the same closing costs as, as a normal real estate transaction that, you know, cost a, um, you know, anywhere from 600 to $2,000, depending on a bunch of things. So those fees are already there too. So your initial 
$80,000 can be down to sixty dollars or $50,000 by the time you get to the table. Um, and I, th I think that's the part that a lot of people miss is that that cost of convenience is a lot bigger than they're telling you up front. Um, so then you get to the closing table, you've invested in this transaction, um, and you're, you're taking less money than maybe you thought you were going to be taking once you finally get to the table. Now, that being said, they do a really good job at making it quick and convenient for you. You go to closing. You don't have to wait for um, you know another family to get a loan. You don't have to go into the escrow situation. There are benefits there, uh, but the, the truth is you have to outweigh or you have to weigh the benefits through the for the cost of convenience. Absolutely. And well, and I think that's a great segue into, you know, I was um, I have my own situation with a customer who was considering utilizing the iBuyer open door. And I helped these um, owners buy their property in 2016. They bought it in a beautiful neighborhood in Valrico for $205,000. And um, this spring, I happened to be in uh, a restaurant nearby and just sent them a text message that said, hey, I'm, I'm in your hood, wanted to say hi, hope all is well. And the next week I got a text message saying, you know, we're selling. Full disclosure, we've talked to Open Door, but would love to, you know, hear what you have to say. And the offer from Open Door was for three hundred and six thousand, which you know is a huge jump from the two hundred five that they paid just three years ago. Um, and they, this was in March. They wanted to be out by Memorial Day, and so I prepared a marketing analysis for them which um, the numbers show that that was a great offer because the neighborhood they lived in was a small neighborhood, only about 40 homes, 25% were original owners from the 80s, and the best sale had been $277,000, but it needed renovations, and their home had a brand new roof, they had updated the bathrooms, made some other updates throughout the home, and um, so the reason why they wanted open door was they had five animals and you know having to corral those animals for all of the showings was an inconvenience yep. the cost of convenience absolutely right. so i prepared a marketing analysis for them but i also prepared another analysis that showed what open door was doing in their neighborhood what they were buying homes for what they were selling homes for and i simply said to them this is the cost of convenience. Do you want that money to go in open doors pocket or do you want it to go in your pocket? You know, I think sometimes real estate agents get a bad rap, you know, for the commission. Um, and, you know, there aren't any standard commissions because that would be against antitrust. However, knowing that what open door and offer pad, you know, their convenience fee is often higher than a real estate agents and sometimes by two three four percent and um, you take that cost into consideration and at the end of the day they sold their property um, i listed it at 310 we went active on a thursday had open houses saturday sunday by sunday they had six offers for over list price and wound up selling for 320, 320,000, putting $25,000 into their pocket. Yeah, $25,000 was their true cost of convenience there. Um, and when you talk about the value, that's where 
as a real estate agent, you have to show your value. Doing these analysis, all of that stuff was very important uh, to that transaction. But the number one thing that you did that was very important for that transaction was something that's that's sometimes hard to convey is the phone call you made, mm-hmm. the text message you sent. That was the most important part of the transaction. wasn't the wasn't the analysis, although all of those things played a part in that sale. But the most important thing you did was thought about your customer and reached out to them after the sale. Um, Ninety or sorry, eighty six percent of people, according to Realtor um, uh, dot com, one of these web, you know. One of the analysis they did, 86 to 89% of the people said they would use the same real estate agent if they were given a chance for their next transaction. Right. But do you know how many people actually do? 12%. Yeah, it's low. It's between 12 and 30, depending on which, which one you rule. But it's less than a third, no matter what. So people, more than two-thirds of people said they would use the same. They loved it. They had a great relationship during this. But then after, when they actually do go to buy again or sell again, it's less than a third of them actually use the same agent. And the reason is, is because of your not, you're not reaching out, you're not selling yourself as a value to them through the between those transactions, and right. that's where people miss is that we always want to be in front of them when they're ready to buy or they're ready to sell, but we miss those in betweens where you have to keep those relationships built up because it shows that you're still valuing them as a customer, not just in those periods of time when they're when they're doing something but it also is there's a psychological reason for that we tend as human beings want to give back to people that give to us Mm -hmm. so if you're reaching out you're writing a christmas card or you're writing a um, thank you note every year you know some i know real realtors do all sorts of things they keep birthdays they keep anniversaries or they just keep the date that they sold them and every year they reach out to them and say hey it's been another year you've been a homeowner and um, and you can combine that with all sorts of things. You can you want to send them a CMA. Look, this is where your equity is at now, and maybe gently remind them that you could make money. But either way, as long as you're reaching out and you're keeping that relationship built, then then you're giving something to them. In the end, they want to give back to you. So if you if you can build those relationships with your current or future customers, they're going to be less likely to make that I buyer call. But in your case, they already did. Right. And if you didn't make that call at the right time, they probably would have sold and, and lost $25,000 um, and really been okay with it. Right. Because what you talked about there is $100,000 of, of money that they, that they were looking at either way, right? Mm-hmm. And that we talk about the true cost of convenience. That's, that's part of the issue. Um, a lot of people that bought early on or you know, from, say, 2010, 11, 12, as the market was rebounding after the crash, um, a lot of these people are seeing exponential growth uh in their in their equity unlike we've seen in, right. in decades right far more than they would have 20 years in the years 90s ago. right you right. only you see you know a few percentage points and it's all over the place i mean i've seen different analysis where it's you know averaging 10% or 5% or 20% but i know personal cases in my home for example you know went up a you know almost 30% of equity because of i finished a renovation from the person in front of me so all these people are seeing these huge jumps of equity. So when somebody goes and and now they have to sell for one reason or the other, whether they're just getting out of their home, they need to move, and they look at sixty, seventy, eighty thousand, ninety thousand, a hundred thousand dollars of equity, a few percentage points aren't going to matter to them psychologically. They're not going to think about that. They're going to think I'm about to gain eighty grand, but really they could be losing money if the, if if they really thought it all the way through. So a lot of them will not. Tend, they'll tend to want to push the transaction quicker because they just want to get that money and move on to the next part of their life. 
I think that's important for anybody that's considering selling their home to do that kind of research and and, and do the research with the iBuyers too to see where where you stand. I mean, there are those benefits there. You can get a quick offer on your home and get an idea of what they believe your neighborhood is worth. However, that's a positive and a negative when it comes to, you know, where your house stands in the neighborhood because these they're using really quick computer um, software to to sort of just gauge what they think your house is going to be worth in the in the market and hope that they can sell it for more. Uh, and if your home is you know the top in the neighborhood, they might give you a lesser offer. Or if your t- your home is the worst in the neighborhood, they might give you an offer that's more. But then they might come back later and adjust it down if they look at the condition of the home. Mm-hmm. The thing that the Zestimate has done is it's put the idea of the value of your home in customers' heads. So as real estate agents, everyone should be a little bit appreciative. I know there's a lot of you know a controversy with them, but Zillow has done a lot of marketing for the idea of selling your home in general, regardless of of telling you what the value is, which can be wildly wrong, right? right. Um, but just making people aware that, hey, your value of your home is increasing, yep. um, and you may or may not be interested in selling. So even if they don't call Zillow, they're doing a good job at, at reminding people that this is an option for you. This is a way that, that you can make money. Sorry. Create, no, creating that awareness. Right. You, you sort of alluded that they're not buying every home mm-hmm. in every price point in every market. So um, what types of homes are they purchasing? So in, in, in Florida especially, they're looking for homes built after 1980. Um, nationwide, they, they can go a little bit older than that, but we have a newer crop of homes already anyway. So here they want to keep to the newer homes. There was also some changes in codes in the late 80s, early 90s locally that made homes that are built after the 80s or after 1980 that are a little bit more secure homes. The uh, windows laws have changed, things that, that have been made. So they really want to stick to a newer home, but they also don't want anything in the last 10 years either because those home, the equity in those homes uh, are drastically different um, and they, the, they're they going to make a less percentage point if they do a home that was built just five years ago. So, um, so really 1980 to 2000, 2010, something along those lines, that's their sweet spot. And then for price point, uh, locally, they really want something over one hundred and fifty thousand, but less than three hundred thousand. And I, I find that the two twenty to three hundred is that's is really where they want to be. They'll go a little bit above that if they have to, and a little bit below that if they have to, um, but they really want to be in that range. Uh, and then the other important thing to remember is that they also don't want um, custom or unique homes. They really want cookie cutter homes. They want neighborhoods that were built all at the same time. So when they're doing their comparables, when the software is going through and picking out the value, they're getting a good idea of what all of those homes are worth. So if they look at the home uh, and it just seems completely different from the neighbors, they might skip on even making an offer in fear that there's going to be completely different uh, you know, when they're selling it. They actually skipped pool homes when they first got to the market. Um, in, in other markets, they, they still skip pool homes, but I think in the southern markets, they're realizing it's kind of hard to avoid all the pool homes that they can, <laughs> right. uh, but pools have another set of risk that they have to you know assess when, when it comes to um, you know the foundation and things like that. So uh, And you'll also notice that they are in Pinellas a lot stronger and Tampa a lot stronger than Pasco and Polk counties because of the risk when it comes to... Um, 
pot or uh, sinkholes and, and things like that. So they want to avoid anything where they see an increased risk is what they're going to try to avoid. Sure. Well, and speaking of buying, you'd mentioned that some of these iBuyers are, are not just working with sellers, but now they're shifting yep. and, and working with buyers as well. Yeah, they, we, I don't think we've seen them in Tampa Bay market yet, but when I was doing research for this um, iBuyer uh, class that I'm, I'm having, we um, saw that there's a new brand out there that is treating the home buying transaction like a car buying transaction. And what they're doing is they're selling you on an upgrade. And what an important message to tell a customer is that you're going to upgrade your life in the most important part of your life, which is your home, right? So they're saying, we're going to buy your home for this much money. We, you have this much equity left over, X amount of dollars. And then you could put that towards a down payment on your new home that they also control. Because remember, they have to sell all these things they're buying. We're always worried about they're buying all these homes up. Um, and again, it's only it's only nine percent of the market. It's still a lot of right. it's most places are not being. But the the fear out there, and I always tell real estate agents the two words I tell them usually at the beginning when I talk about iBuyers is don't panic because it's really a small amount. But we do have to be aware of it. Um, but now they're getting into the other side and saying you can upgrade your home by selling us your home and then buying one of our other homes. Um, and it's the same thing as a used car lot. You know, they buy a car at this price uh, from somebody and then they're going to sell it to somebody else who's now upgrading. Um, and then they can sell those original ones to people who are buying their first car, or their first home. Um, so we w are going to see a trend of both sides of the transaction being built into an app-like structure, a website-based like structure where you go online to a very beautiful website and you type in where you live and they're going to say, this is how much money we believe you have in your home based on your you know, current market analysis. Um, and then this is how much equity you'd have. So you could upgrade to this home. And what a powerful way. If I'm living in a two-bedroom and I could live in a three-bedroom with a pool and my kids have now grown up to be seven or eight, I really want that three-bedroom with a pool. It's going to be something else that we have to look at. Right. What, what are the pros of using an iBuyer? Well, I know I, I I will say the the convenience and the speed are the number one things that that are that are the pros. The the real question is then who would that be good for? Because for most of us, like you said, with the with the and with the money that you're going to leave on the table, for most of us, uh, the typical average you know family that bought a home and they've lived in it for so many years, we want to make what the most we can. But there are people that that that's not the most the biggest priority. For example, out of state inheritance. Here in Florida, we know we have an aging population, and there's a lot of situations where, um, you know, mom and dad have passed away, and, and a, a family from out of state will come in, uh, and now they have a home that they have to do on top of dealing with, you know, the, the passing and grieving and funerals and all of this. They have the home that's sitting there that, that the bank maybe still wants money, or there's taxes, or whatever the costs are associated, so there's a real added push to sell these things quickly and if you told a family of you know or, you know uh, um, another family that you know the home that you have that maybe mom and dad have paid off is worth two hundred thousand dollars but I'm gonna give you 160 for it and you don't have to do anything that's more important to them that money was already free money to them they're not invested in that home typically right. um, the way that the original couple was especially if the home has deferred maintenance or you know is outdated and is gonna take some money to put into it to bring it up to yep. the full market value and uh, and for a lot of i buyers that will will go to those homes they're obviously not looking for something with a hole in the roof but they will they will buy outdated homes mm -hmm. even if there's no structural or as long as there's no structural or major uh, repair damage they will 
um, buy a home that the kitchen's outdated from 1970. That doesn't bother them in the least. Mm -hmm. Um, So they can either flip it really quickly. They have their own people that can come in and, um, you know, put a new kitchen in a matter of days. Uh, and, and so they will touch those homes where if you're going to sell it yourself, uh, it's going to be a lot more work for you to have somebody come in and then you have to get prices on the kitchen and the, this and the carpeting and the, so they're, they're more likely to buy from them. Another typical person who would use an iBuyer would be somebody with dramatic or sudden, uh, changes, um, you know, in, in their lifestyle or in their home. And, and that's a big fancy way of saying divorce. So a lot of times if a couple's about to get divorced or they're going to get divorced or they have an amicable divorce amicable divorce they'll sell the home before so they can deal with it split it and then move on mm-hmm. um, it's it's really hard to list your home and have showings when you're going through that type of uh, you know turmoil in, in the lifestyle um, and another one would be on the other side of life would be if uh, you got an amazing job offer in New York City and they're gonna pay you fifty thousand dollars more a year than you're gonna make right now um, you don't have the time to sit and wait to sell your home mm-hmm. so it's really the people that need to sell quickly, the people that need to kind of emphasize the speed. I know we hear stories, the iBuyers love to tell us these stories about how busy you are and you don't have time to to show your home. That's one of the tactics they're using in the marketing is to tell you that speed is such an important factor, but it really it really isn't and it shouldn't be when we're dealing with such a large part of your, you know, your financial future. Right, absolutely. I, I would be willing to wait, you know, a few weeks um, if it's going to bring, put an extra twenty five, thirty five thousand yeah. dollars in Sometimes forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. I'm, I'm in the same boat. They, they tell a story, I think one of the ads online was, it shows a husband and wife that are missing each other all the time. They're like, hey, we have to sell our home. And then the husband leaves at five o'clock to go to work and the, and the wife gets home at five o'clock and they're not really seeing each other. And then there's they're putting the dogs out and and they're they're trying to sell a story of a couple who doesn't have the time to list their house but the reality is very few people live that lifestyle mm-hmm. um and the most of us you know you know have time to to list or have time to clean up the home a little bit without having to to worry about you know okay it's going to take me a month or even two months i mean if it's fifty thousand dollars in two months is Better than better than most jobs. Well, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. you look at what the average salaries are, right. and for a lot of people, that's a year's salary. Right. So you're willing to wait two months to to make that extra year's salary. I think most mm-hmm. of us are fine with that, and most of us will find the time and the ability. And really, when you look at the comparison, the iBuyer, when they talk about the repairs, like I said earlier, ten thousand dollars worth of repairs, mm-hmm. um, you might have. Uh, a thousand or two thousand dollars you could spend to spruce up your home and you're going to sell it a new coat of paint you fix the landscaping you paint the front door but and and so some people would think those investments are hard or they're just going to take time and money but comparing the ten thousand dollars you're going to lose in repairs to the i buyer is really smart it's really smart to make that comparison and make sure that you're spending money you know to make the right amount of money rather than the other way around absolutely and one of the things i love to say with potential sellers is a can of paint costs $55-$60 but can provide $5,500 in value you know just you know bringing life to that and there are very easy things that you can do that will add a lot of value pro tip go to go to the the store go to Lowe's go to Home Depot if you're just selling if you're selling your home go look at the uh, bottom where they have mess ups 
and there's a million colors underneath there and my wife has spent $30 for a can of paint or $25 for a nice can of paint because at that point she didn't really care what color as long as it was a fresh coat of paint and you can find something that's pleasing to the eye a neutral color if you're selling right yep. and you can even cheaper than $55 have a nice uh, a nice uh, coat of paint on the walls that's a great pro tip <laughs> and one other pro tip i make is go into a model home and just take a look around and you'll see what builders are using to sell their properties yep. and um, you can get some good tips for yeah. how to stage your home. Uh, that's another podcast. Yeah, so. that is, yeah. But what, what would you say are some cons um, when it comes to using an iBuyer? Uh, well, the number one, th- there are people that are going to use them and, and like we've mentioned, those people that are better beneficial for it. But the number one con obviously is the price. Mm-hmm. You're going to make less money from the iBuyer. They'll, they're telling you up front you're going to make less money. They might not tell you how much, but they're going to tell you up front. One of the studies was, um, was, the question was asked, would you take less money for your home if the transaction was easier? And 76% of the people said yes, but they didn't ask how much. And I think that's really where it comes down to. Um, so the, there's also people besides the money aspect of it that really care about who moves into their home. So that's the other thing about this when you're when you're selling your home in this sort of way as if almost like it's your car and you're trading it in, um, you don't really get to know what the story of your home is. And for a lot of people, and, and silly as it might sound, especially for us that's in real estate and we see homes sold every day, but when you have a personal investment outside of money, just a, your heart and your sweat and your family have lived there for years, um, you really you care. You know all the neighbors. Yeah, you know the neighbors, you know who would be good for it. I've seen people take less money a little bit, five or ten thousand dollars less to, to sell to a family rather than, you know, selling to an investor because they would rather know who's gonna move in. I, I mean, sometimes it's a longer transaction when you're selling to somebody who has to, you know, get a mortgage and go through that, but in the end you know what who your who your home is going to. Mm-hmm. Um and there there's also outside of the outside of the speed thing, there's a lot of people who will call a realtor when they've decided that they're going to make a move, but they don't really know what that next move is. So that's a third group of people um, that are, and, and this I think is more common than any anything, is that, hey, I know I want to make a move now. I want to move up. I want to move down. I want to, you know, whatever, the, whatever it is, and I want to sell. Um, so you talk to a realtor about listing the home, but you really don't know how much money you're going to make, what neighborhood you're looking at. So for some people, the realtor... Um, is a guide for all of that. So those people would not benefit from an iBuyer at all because an iBuyer is just here to give them their check and walk away. So the benefit of calling a real estate agent for those people especially is guidance on the next step. They might know a neighborhood with homes that they're looking for or condo that they wanna buy um, and can help them along. And maybe they need two months or three months to finally sell the home, pack everything up and move out and working with a real estate agent who is you know, able to work with them on that timetable is is completely different from calling an iBuyer. If you told an iBuyer any 90 days, they're going to say call us back in 60. Right. They're not going to they're not going to give you that time. And that's uh, that's a great point. I can't tell you how many buyers I've worked with and sellers for that matter that um have nurtured that relationship for a year or two yeah. from the time we initially spoke to when they wound up, you know, tr- making the transaction. Yeah. And especially for people that may be moving or new to the area, you know, I put out a monthly newsletter 
And um, if I say to them, you know, what brings you into an open house? Let's say if I'm holding an open house, oh, well, we're just starting. We don't know what we're going to do yet. And, um, you know, I say, well, I put out a monthly newsletter with market updates, you know, et cetera. And that has piqued so many people's interests because they do want to sort of follow it along to see where the, the right move for them is. Um, let's talk numbers. Um, what percentage of sales locally are transacted by iBuyers? So you hear a lot about Tampa Bay being a strong iBuyer market, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you hear that it's one of the top. And I have a, a study here that I actually just printed out that states um, that it is. Tampa is one of the fastest growing markets when it comes to home sales made under online platforms. Uh, and that's number 17 market in the country. Um, so that sounds like a lot, and it, it sounds like maybe they're taking over. But the total percentage of homes, and, and this was in the third quarter of 19, um, was 1.1%. That's it. So um, we're still looking at a very small amount. In 2018, I don't have the 19 numbers nationwide. It was 600,000 homes nationwide that were sold under one of these platforms. So it's still it's still a really small percentage of numbers because I think most people, despite the advertisement and and all these things, can look and say, "I'm going to make I want to make the most amount of money." Um, they're new to the to the industry, and that actually benefits them. Um, because some people just want to do whatever the newest thing is, so they'll spend a little bit of money to be ahead of the game. The early adopters. Early adopters, right. They want to go out, go out and say, hey, I was able to sell my home on an iBuyer. I was one of the first ones. So that's part of it for some people right now. But I think as it levels off, um, you know, there are a lot of people that will predict that they'll have a market share um, as high as 9 or 10% in the area in the next couple of years. But I think it'll be, as we mentioned earlier a specific type of person who will be selling it to them Mm -hmm. so i don't think the average home buyer is going to use them on a regular basis what's interesting is is who's using them um and and you would think just based on all available idea that millennials and gen xers are 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 the ones using iBuyers, but it's actually not they're 94 percent of millennials who bought a home in 2018 use traditional real estate methods. They use a realtor or real estate agent to use it. Um, it's actually people outside of those. Uh, baby boomers are using iBuyers at a higher rate. Um, these are people that are now adopting internet more than the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is also the concept of the do-it-yourself generation. The baby boomers were the do-it-yourself generations. Um, and now instead of doing the FISBO and trying to sell it themselves, they're doing the iBuyer, which is a click of a button. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that, I think that's part of it for that type of generation. But as those homes are sold, the general idea, the general um, number of homes are going to be for the younger market. So I think we'll see an increase over the next year or so, and then it will level down to a lower, maybe 5 or 6%. Yeah. Well, and to put that into context, you mentioned... Oh, 600 and how many thousand? 612,000 nationwide. Nationwide. And that was all the markets, yeah. In 2018, but we're looking at probably 5 million total transactions. There was, there was 6.1 that year. So there was okay. 5.5 million transactions that were not involved. Right. So it's still a strong market outside of the iBuyer market. There's still 5.5 million. It was 6.1 million in 18 mm-hmm. homes nationwide sold, and 5.5 of them were outside of iBuyer. So there's still a lot of... A traditional market. When you look at the top people in the um, in the country right now, the highest in quarter three of nineteen 
was Atlanta, Georgia, and they were right at, at about 7%. Wow. And that was the highest. Um, uh, in the state of Florida, Jacksonville was the highest at 3%. So it's still such a small percentage of, of, of the market, uh, less than 10% all across the board. And I don't think it'll it'll peak in 2020 is my is what I think 2020 early 21 maybe as the money and the and the in investment that they've made in marketing comes to fruition and then it will sort of level off it's the same way that we buy Glee homestead they saw a really great number of a few years and now some of these companies still buy a ton of homes they're still buying a, a, even more than 1.1% of homes but they are still buying a certain type of home that almost sits outside of traditional real estate markets okay well, and as we close out this episode, I um, wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about Total Title Solutions and why it c- consumers would want to utilize your services. Sure. One thing, I, one tool that we have um, that's available with our app that uh, you have access to that you can show uh, anyone or a- any real estate agent can have access to is the Fan Agent One app. And there's actually a, a comparative analysis available for free when you type in the value of your home, uh, and it will tell you how much money that cost of convenience actually will be. Um, and it's completely customizable, so if you have an offer, or you can just sort of use the averages to figure out what an offer would be from an iBuyer, but if you actually have an offer, you can put in those direct numbers, and you can look at how much money you'll you'll be leaving on the table and what that true cost of convenience is. So that's a, the number one thing I would tell people is to you know ask your real estate agent to have this app and, and look at our comparative analysis to find out how much money you're leaving on the table so you can make that informed decision on what's worth it for me. Yeah, I do use that app and it is a great tool. Yeah, Absolutely. It really is. Outside of that, I will I would tell consumers, you know, the number one thing we do t- for you is to make it convenient. We we understand these transactions. You're you're buying or selling a home two or three times in your life. Um, for most people, it's it's less than that. So um, we want to make it as easy, as easy as we can for you. So we have a lot of tools to keep your money secure. We have cyber liability policies to to make sure that none of the you know cyber attacks are going to happen to our company. We have all sorts of uh, securities in place for that. But we also have a large number of locations. Total Title Solutions alone has seven locations here. So you're not driving you know somewhere really far to do your physical closing. Uh, and now, as of January 1st, 2020, um, we actually are doing what is known as a remote online notarization. We can actually close your in- entire transaction paperless from anywhere in the world. Uh, wow. You don't. The new law just got passed uh, on January 1st, and our company actually helped uh, the government with this law and helped them put it into place. It's it now will accept a, a digital signature for any. Um, you know, deed documents, which typically the banks and things weren't accepting. Right. But now you can do these e-closings and these RON closings if you're on vacation or wherever you are uh, to make it even more convenient. Or if you're stationed overseas and yep. you're not we, able to... We did the first one in the state of Florida back last March in 2018 um, before the law was passed as a way to test it for uh, for Tallahassee. Uh, and we've done five or so every month and some of them were planned but a couple of them were exactly that story where somebody was selling a home and then got pulled away Um, and one of them there was a problem and they had already gone on vacation Uh, and so even in those situations typically you'd have to go to 
um, you know, an embassy and, and find a, um, a notary there, but now you can actually just sign right on your phone, your iPad, um, and you can, those are legal documents, they work just the same way, uh, and they're even more secure than traditional um, you know, closing because they actually have to go through a, a more rigorous uh, testing for your ID to make sure you're who you are and you're not being coerced into signing and all these things. Oh, that's great. It's a really, it's a really great new tool that will sort of change how we close for the future. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for, Thanks for having time me again today yep. and uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes. And if you have a show topic that you'd like to share with me or have a real estate related question that you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear it. You can call or text me at 719-201-5022 or you can reach me via email at Nicole at SellingStPetefl.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E at S-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-P-E-T-E-F-L.com.